Nice to be back with you here this morning, and uh, back with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Rick, who announced me a few minutes ago, me and my wife, is announcing us different now. He used to announce us years ago in Pittsburgh as our younger friends, and now it's our old friends, but uh, we're, we're still happy to be friends, brother. <laughs> Most of you heard we're continuing a series. We're actually in session number six of a seven-part series here this weekend on the Jewish tabernacle as it points to the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior. So I'd like for review, those of you that have been here, it'll be new for you that are here for the first time today, to open your Bibles to start with to Hebrews chapter 9, please. The book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9. I'm going to give this laser to my wife to... uh, Refurbish it here. The batteries are in my Bible case. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 9. And and just take you to verse 2. Verse 2. Hebrews 9 and verse 2. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So we've come to this truth of the tabernacle here. Here's an artist's facsimile of it. And as we reminded some of you yesterday, the word tabernacle simply means a tent. But it was a special tent. It was portable. Because God's people were moving to the promised land through the desert wilderness. So God was moving with them. And it was a tent that God lived in. You see his glory represented there. And that tent that God lived in, known as the sanctuary, uh, is, is called the tabernacle or the tent. Now, with that in mind, if you look again at a verse we've been looking at this weekend, in chapter 9 and verse 19. Verse 19, I got the signal. My uh, pointer is ready again. Thank you. There we go. Verse uh, 9, rather, chapter 9 and verse 9, I should say. Verse 9, speaking of the tabernacle, which was a figure for the time then present. Now, we talked about that over the weekend. That word figure is the Greek word parabolos, which is translated elsewhere always parable. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Not all the parables were told by the Lord Jesus at the Sea of Galilee and elsewhere. There's some very big ones in the Old Testament, and a very huge one, according to Hebrews 9, is the tabernacle. It's, it, it doesn't function today, but it, it's a parable for the present time. Some will have or the time then present. So when we come to this, we can expect pictures and models that will be of the heavenly meaning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we learned that in Hebrews 9.24, that they're figures of the true, but Christ has gone into heaven itself. And so we can't see heaven. We can't see the protocol there. But we can see the picture that points us to the reality of the Lord Jesus. So we're looking at the tabernacle as a parable, not a reality, but a parable that takes us to the reality of Christ who has come now to understand the unseen Christ and so on. Taking it to a different picture here, here's a picture with the camp of Israel encamped about it. As he said in Exodus 25, 8, let them make me a sanctuary. 
that I may dwell among them. God's desire to be in the midst of his people as they traveled, wanted to be close to them. Now, as you see here, the people were pilgrims, and they had their family tents. You see that pictured here. But now in the middle is going to be the big tent, God's tent, the tabernacle. Notice the position, and we're not going to study it today, but in the Old Testament, the tribes were positioned by their tribe and circled about the tabernacle, and the tabernacle would be in the midst. So that we really, I just want to share something practical here for a minute before we go on. Uh, we, really, we, we have two types of tents. We have God's house, God's dwelling place, we'll call it the big tent. And then you have the family tents. And that brings you to two institutions. The family is of God, mother, father, children, so on. But so is the house of God where he lives. We, we learn in the New Testament, the house of God is the church of the living God, huh? the pillar and the ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3.15. And so we have the family and we have the house of God. As you study the Old Testament, you see this glory cloud, God's presence? The family tents were controlled by the movement of the big tent. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't the family said, here's a lovely place over in the mountains. Uh, Mr. Moses, would you bring the tabernacle over here? No. Uh, it, it worked like this. When this cloud moved, then they would pack up their tents and move. So they would always have their families encircled about the house of God, facing the protocol uh, the, the, the glory of God. The big tent controlled the little tent, the family tent. Both tents are of God. Family had responsibilities. Father to go out and gather the manna every day. Mother to raise the children and so on. But yet that family tent, as important as it was, was not the authority over this. This was the authority over them. They moved from God moved first. That's in Numbers 10 and other scriptures. A little practical thing there. Uh, as we raise our children and we, we get involved in the New Testament church and so on, oh, which has the authority over which, you know? Uh, my dad, I was raised in a heritage, and they taught us children. Uh, we didn't have to go to every extracurricular ministry and activity, but the meetings of the church where the presence of the Lord was there, uh, they wanted us there. And he didn't, my dad didn't accept any excuse, you know? You, you say, I'm sick. Uh, the only excuse he'd accept was death. And you had to have a two weeks notice, you know. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, I got a big test tomorrow. That's all right. The Lord will help you, son. You just be at the Lord's house, you know. Anyway, uh, uh, what we learned out of that is that God's authority came first. Yes, there's things here. But the movement of this house controlled this. It wasn't that, well, we'll just do this and we'll hope we'll find a place and so on. And so we see the two types of tents here. Just something I wanted to share with you in the beginning here. It, it's not my main thrust here. But as we go on here. As we've been studying this weekend, there were three major sections to the tabernacle. There's the outside yard. No, we call it the courtyard. And we learned a big thing that happened there was sacrifice. You know, sacrifice for sin. God starts with the cleansing of sin. That's where he started. And that's the first area out there, a place for forgiveness of sins. But now you come into the sanctuary itself, and it had two rooms. We read today the first tabernacle. It's called the holy place. Second one, the holiest of holies, divided by a veil that we'll talk about tonight, Lord willing. But, but in this room, with gold and silver and that, there was no sacrifices. No animal was killed in there. What happened in there, and we already learned this, but look at verse 6 of Hebrews 9. Looking at verse 6 of Hebrews 9. Now when these things were thus ordained, uh, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. 
Here it's the service of God. It's not the sacrifice now. He does start with sacrifice, but he sure doesn't end there. He saves us so we can serve him. You know, as he told Israel in the Old Testament, let my people go, or he told Pharaoh actually, let my people go that they may serve me, Exodus 8.1. He saves us to accomplish the ministry of God. And we started to learn yesterday that what happened in here, out here there was ministry for the people. You help kill the sacrifices, skin them, etc. And there's a legitimate need for ministry for the people. But God called the ministry in the holy place. That my priest will enter my sanctuary and draw near to my table that they may minister unto me. Exodus you know, 40, or rather Ezekiel 44, 16. There's ministry to the heart of God. And we started to learn yesterday that you needed light, and there was one source of light on the south side, the lampstand, and that's where we ended last night. But where we're at now, we're still in the holy place. We have two pieces of furniture left this morning. This evening, we'll see that third section, the holiest. And what happened there? Can you go even deeper than the service of God? Well, you can. But uh, we still have the table of showbread and the golden altar of incense in the ministry to God. Now, there's another picture of this golden room here uh, where the priest went in to minister to God. So what is this ministry all about? They needed light, and there was this one source of light, the lampstand, and the beautiful pictures that gave us of the Word and the Lord Jesus. Here we have another picture of it, seeing the lampstand here on the south side, but adjacent to it is this table of showbread, display bread on the north side. And this is the table in this little 30-foot room that the priests were drawn near to and minister to the heart of God. Shut out from the world. They couldn't be seen. A little 30-feet plot on planet Earth, and there's ministry under God. That was the size of the holy place, by the way, 30 feet. Uh, uh, so with that in mind, if you'd go to Leviticus chapter 24. Let's go to the Old Testament parable first before we see the New Testament reality. And go to Leviticus chapter 24, please. And we're going to see the activity here at this table of showbread. It had a crown around it. Speaking of the exaltation of Christ and so on. Give you another artist's rendition of it. Uh, it would have, we're going to see 12 loaves of bread on it. 12 loaves of bread called the table of showbread or bread of presence or display bread. Here's another picture of it with the bread lined this way. And it also had vessels on it and cups and pitchers and bowls and so on. This just shows one vessel. And uh, you know what was in that vessel? Numbers 28.7 says strong wine. So it's a table in the Old Testament with bread and wine upon it. They, that would be poured out in the holy place as a drink offering. A bread that would house, uh, uh, bread, a table that would house bread and wine on it. Now, I'll give you another picture of it here. Here's a picture again with the vessels and the cups for the strong wine of the drink offering. And here's the bread and so on. Looking at that one's from our actual model, uh, looking at the uh, table of showbread. Well, let's see what happened there. Let's just see what happened there. Uh, Leviticus 24. Uh, we looked at the lampstand yesterday here, but now I take you to verse 5. Leviticus 24 and verse 5. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial. 
even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. Now I'll read more in a minute, but I'm going to stop right there. You remember when we talked about the lampstand yesterday, it was to burn continual. It was continual. And it was to burn before the Lord even when nobody's there. We learn in the holy place, the service of God, that some things are not for people first of all. They're for God first. doesn't always have to be about you. Meeting the ministry, the desires of God. And when you come to this table of showbread, while the priest would do something with it on the seventh day, their Sabbath, you know what happened for six days? It just sat there. But it's, you say, what a waste. No, no homeless are eating it. No poor Israelis are eating it. It's just sitting there, not doing anything for six days. Well, it did do something. Look, look, look again here at verse 6. Verse 6. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. You know, you read verses like uh, Ezekiel 44.7, speaking of the different offerings and so on. It's called the bread of God. There's something God feeds on spiritually. And this is a memorial. You get to the New Testament where it tells us what the bread is. Jesus, our Lord, said, I am the bread of life, John 6.35. And it's before God. He's feeding on whatever it represents in memorial. God is taking it all in for those six days. It's before the Lord. Uh, you saw that again at the end of verse 6. It's an offering, or verse 7 I should say, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. And so you see these expressions, before the Lord, unto the Lord, and so on. Verse 8, every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. So some things are for God. But on the seventh day, this happened here. Get down, if you would, to verse 9. Verse 9. And it shall be Aaron and his sons. They were the priesthood. Aaron the high priest, sons the regular priest. And it shall be Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. And so here's this bread, and they would on the seventh day, they would replace it with, six, with 12 new loaves so that the rest of the week would have new loaves continually before the Lord. There'd be a replacement. But the older loaves, the priesthood now, Aaron and his sons would eat it before the Lord. You know what was happening here? God was sharing his food. They were eating what delighted the heart of God. Coming here to my table, God says, and ministering unto me, meeting the desires of God's heart that they enjoyed, well, <laughs> what God enjoyed. You know, you really have close fellowship with people when that happens, when you too enjoy the same thing. I'll just use a secular example, you know. You can, we can, I can talk football with you guys, but, you know, we'll have a certain amount of fellowship. But when I go to Pittsburgh to minister, man, where I grew up, we got a lot of fellowship. But we, we're on the same page, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers, whatever. And uh, we're enjoying the same thing. It's, it's a unique kind of fellowship. Well, that's just a secular example. Here, here's the food of God. God delighting in this bread. And now God and man are sitting at the same table enjoying what pleases God. You understand that eating together conveys fellowship. And God wants the fellowship of His people. You have people over for dinner, and one of the reasons you do is you get to know them. You have fellowship. Uh, for example, a certain young man is interested in a certain young lady, and he asks her out for dinner. 
What does he do that for? You know, if all he's interested in filling their stomach, just mail her some McDonald coupons and say bon appetit and problem solved. But no, no, it's a place to get to know her. It's a place of fellowship. And so he takes her out to dinner, a very popular thing. And so here is man and God at the same time, man now eating what God feasted on, spiritually speaking, uh, for six days. And so man and God in fellowship together, delighting the heart of God, that what God's delighted in, why His people are delighted in. And so we have fellowship here at the table of God. And that's what's happening here. Uh, however, I show you this picture here. Back then, did you notice it only said in verse 9, Aaron and his sons? Huh? That's the priesthood. Not every Jewish tribe could ever enter in there and fellowship with God. If you were a Gentile man, forget it. And if you were a woman, you'll never put a foot in there. This is as close as you would get to the steps of the temple here. Uh, the priest would take your offerings, but you could never, as a woman, put your foot in there. It's, oh, it was only a male thing. It's the way it was in the Old Testament. We learned yesterday that every believer is a priest now. And the New Testament gospel has liberated and has brought Gentiles, including women, into a privilege they never had before. Now, I've looked a little bit at this Old Testament picture here uh, of the table of showbread where fellowship happened, where man and God ate together, ministering to the heart of God. We get to the New Testament, and you read of the table of the Lord. So let's now go to the reality, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. Make it, make it 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul trying to exhort the believers here, the Corinthians. It's written to the Corinthian church, not Israel. It's written to the whole Corinthian church, men and women, okay? Trying to tell them, trying to get across to them, that they really aren't to go to the temple of idols and join in the eating of those feasts. Maybe that was their religious heritage. Because when you partake, when you eat of something, you're showing fellowship with it. That, that's what he's really teaching here. But to do that, he's showing them that when they come to the Lord's table, they're expressing fellowship. So, so look here at verse 16. Verse 16. The whole essence is in verse 14, uh, 10, 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. But anyway, he goes on to teach him this in verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And some of you will have the word communion translated elsewhere to fellowship. Same word. Is it not the communion or the fellowship of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, and that is fellowship, of the body of Christ? So when the, the cup is taken, the believers are saying, we agree on the blood of Christ. We agree on the body of Christ. You see, what has delighted the heart of God, that His Son died for us. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, the Lord said in Matthew 17, 5. And, and you know that offering of Christ on the cross for our sins? Listen, listen to the language of Ephesians 5.2. Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, or that is aroma. 
It was sweet to God that there was an answer to sin, that His Son loved Him to go all the way to the cross to provide that substitutionary sacrifice. It delights the heart of God. And now here's believers, and we're fellowshipping. We're showing, we agree. We, we, not, not maybe on politics or whatever, but we agree on salvation. Yeah. We agree on the body and blood of Christ, and we're expressing fellowship with one another and with God. So he goes on to say in verse 17, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. We being many, we're one bread. And so we, the bread also pictures us as the body of Christ, the, the spiritual body of Christ. And we're partakers of that one bread. We're showing a unity that our fellowship, we agree with God over His beloved Son that He raised from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, for example, when some of us took the bread, say there was a lot of people here, and all the bread was gone at the end. Somebody said, where's that bread? Well, it's in that person, it's in that person, it's in me. Uh, we, we all had the same, we've all eaten the same thing. We're one body. And so he goes on to show them that, that eating equals fellowship. It's the fellowship. And so he makes his point here at verse 18. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are they not which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? When they ate certain sacrifices, they're saying, I agree with what that altar stands for. He says, well, then, if that's true, if eating, partaking equals fellowship, he goes on to say in verse 21, ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table at the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You know, you, you can't really have two, two, two husbands, two wives, you know. Do we, do we have the Christian religion, and for heritage, family's sake, we have this other one. He says, it's the Lord's table. You can't have them both. God's a jealous God. And so we read of a Lord's table here, too, where we express fellowship. Later on, in a formal way, it's called the Lord's Supper in chapter 11. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you just show the Lord's death till he come, huh? 1 Corinthians 11.26. I'm going to re-quote that, though. As often as ye, he's writing to the Corinthian church, you all, those that call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, because we're all priests, we're all cleansed by the blood of Christ, I can do something I couldn't have done back there this morning. I, I, I'm a Gentile, but I took of that bread and that cup this morning because I've been made a priest by the blood of Christ. Every Christian sister, you've been liberated it's not off limits for you anymore. It's just not Aaron and his sons. It's the church of God. Ye, you all, eat this bread, drink this cup, you to show the Lord's death. People tell me the New Testament assembly hinders the woman. It liberates the woman. It liberates us. It brings us to privileges that they never had in the Old Testament. To sit at the table of God and to enjoy the things and to pour out our heart, whether silently or publicly to God, and uh, to, to be excited about what God is excited, showing forth His Son's death, ministering to the heart of God. Never mind if people don't get anything out of it. It delights the heart of God. And so we, we, we come to this ministry to God. You say, well, it's not changing the world. It's not solving the homeless. No, it's not. But it's something the world doesn't do. Glorifying God and ministry serving to the heart of God, accomplishing the service of God, fellowshipping with God, man and God, at the same table, now known as the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. 
Well, that's a little bit, brothers and sisters and friends, about the second piece of furniture in the holy place, the second of three pieces in the holy place where the ministry of God was accomplished. Uh, going back to our tabernacle, there's a twilight picture, uh, turns to a pillar of fire at night from a cloud. God's with his people 24 hours a day. There's the little tents, the family tents around the big tent. Notice they're facing the house of God, facing the glory of God, a good place to direct your children is the order of God in this church. You know, they learn a whole new dimension there. But anyway, uh, there's a picture of it. We go back to this cutaway picture here. We're still this morning in this holy place. We're not on a sacrifice anymore, salvation. We're in the service of God. And we talked about the one source of light. We've just mentioned a bit the table of showbread, where once a week the priest would come on the Sabbath and eat that bread before the God, the Lord. But now I take you right next to the veil, to the third piece of furniture in here, that golden piece that was made out of acacia wood, covered with gold, and it was an altar. But it was not an altar for sacrificing. It was not this brazen altar where blood was put on the horns, fire and some other parts of the animal were put on it as a sacrifice unto God. It's a golden altar for incense. And so I'd like you to go to Exodus chapter 30, please. Let's go back to the Old Testament parable. Exodus chapter 30. Here's another picture of this holy place, the minute service of God. Here's the altar. It's right before the veil, that golden altar. Show you another picture of it here. Uh, here you see it right next to the veil, uh, the golden altar of incense from our model there. Uh, another picture of it, more isolated, uh, and so on. And so there's various pictures of the golden altar of incense. But uh, there you see the priest ministering at it and uh, the incense going up and so on. But so we find ourselves at the usage of it here in chapter 30 of Exodus and looking at verse 1. Exodus 30 and verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, a shatim wood, some of you have acacia wood, Brother Dave showed us a sample yesterday, uh, shalt thou make it. And it goes on to give the dimensions of it and so on. But now if you'll go down, if you would, and look in at verse uh, 7, verse 7, And Aaron shall burn on sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps, and he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord, throughout your generations. Not only was the candle lampstand light continually, uh, before, not only was the bread continually before the Lord, this incense that is made after a apothecary formula, uh, it's going to be ascending up because the high priest, Aaron in those days, is going to light the incense in the evening and the morning so there's a perpetual, continual incense that God can smell. He, God dwells right behind this veil and the holiest of holies, which we'll get to tonight. And uh, so it, it's, and did you notice it's before the Lord? You say, well, uh, it's, uh, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. In fact, I don't even like the smell thereof. You might, it's not for you. <laughs> it's before the Lord. It's for His delight. And we've got to understand in the church of God, not everything's about us. It's not always, what did I get? And what does it do? For, what, did it, what did it do for Him? You know, He's the Savior. He's the Lord. That's the thinking that comes across here. And so it's before the Lord. Now, now concerning this incense here, as we are saying, look at verse 9. 
Look at verse 9. And ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt offering, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour your drink offering thereon. No strange incense. So that if you're a priest and you're up there and you're, hmm, it's not my favorite smell. I like polo, you know, or Chanel number no. five or something like that. Uh, uh, would you mind, uh, Mr. Moses or whoever, Mr. Aaron? Let's just put, I like that smell better. Don't you dare. No strange incense. It's, not, it's, not, it's what God desires. The church of God is what God desires, not what you like. People say, hey, well, I like this because of exciting music. And Well, wait a minute, what does God desire? What is He after? It's not, really not what I'm after. What's He after? No strange incense. There was an exact formula for it. And go, go further in chapter 30. You'll see this here. Look, look at verse 34. Uh, Exodus chapter 30, and looking at verse 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stocky, onkna, and galbanum. These sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight. For those of you that were here over the weekend would like to do a deeper study, this uh, incense formula had four ingredients. Remember we talked about four being the number, the glory, the four Gospels. You'll see these all have to do with aspects of Christ, but um, for another time. Okay. Uh, but, but there was a special formula for it. Now look at verse 35. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection, after the art of the apothecary, we'd say pharmacist today or druggist, tempered together, pure and holy. So it was a perfume that had a smell to it, and the exact ingredients, the four ingredients, God would give. And you did not have liberty to say, that's not what I like. I want, I want something that smells good to me and it will get me in here. No, you offer no strange incense. But it goes on to say, what goes on to say? Look at verse 36. And thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. Now here comes the opposite problem here. Look at verse 37. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. You, here's the opposite problem. You walk in and you like the smell. So, oh, I do like that smell. Uh, Mr. Apothecaris, Mr. Druggist, the next time you make it for the tabernacle, make an extra pint for me, and it's going to be my cologne. And this. No, you won't. There are some things that are only for God and God alone and never meant to be shared with man. Most holy for the Lord. So look at verse 38. <laughs> Whosoever shall make like that to smell thereto, even shall be cut off from his people. Taking things that belong to God that made him think of his son and put him on mere man while you were cut off. Yeah, you might not like it and change it, but now it's the other. You do like it, but you share what's for God and God alone with man. Is that possible today? I'm thinking of a verse in Isaiah 42.8. The Lord says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory will I not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. God doesn't want to share His glory with another. You know, we get to the New Testament, and we learn that there are certain titles that belong to God only. In fact, the Old Testament teaches it too. Psalm 111, for example, verse 9. Holy and reverend is His name. Yet do men take name? Holy, reverence in religious circles? Things that belong only to God 
or shared with people, not good. Not, it takes the glory from God to man. My glory will I not give to another. And we have other titles. As you study the New Testament and the believers in that, believers did different things. They had different gifts. You know, Paul, the apostle, um, the evan- Philip, the evangelist, it would tell you the different things they do. It will never take their gift or their education and put it as a title that elevates them in front of their name. You'll never see it. I make the mistake and say the Apostle Paul. The Bible never does, says Paul the Apostle. Philip the Evangelist. And it calls it, we're all brothers. You're all brother in the Lord, Jesus said. We'll call people pastor this or this doctor of divinity. And the Lord condemned that when he was on earth. He says, you know, you like to be called rabbi and master. He says, well, you have a master. He's in heaven. You have a teacher. He's Christ. And ye are all brethren, Matthew 23, 8. And yet these same circles that will do that, that, that uh, uh, give all these titles to men based on education and sharing really things that belong to God, uh, they'll have no trouble when they approach the Lord and say, Dear Jesus. Yet He's the only one in the New Testament that gets a title. <laughs> he's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say something about that in a minute. He's exalted. He gets the title. And yet as Dear Jesus and then Dr. So-and-so and Holy So-and-so, uh, we just got to be careful. There are some things that are for God alone. And we're not to be shared with men. And this is one of them. Uh, incense. Uh, was sent up before God the exact incense that he wanted. Now as you look at the picture there, as you look at the picture, and I'll take you back to it for a minute, it was Aaron, the high priest. Uh, this incense going up was offered by a high priest. Now before I say more about him, I want to stop for a minute. What's the reality of this incense? We don't have instructions for incense in the church today. There's no formula for us. That's Old Testament legalism if you still do that. Okay. But it was only a picture of the reality. I want to show you the reality of what this incense is. Okay. David had a preview of it. He would say in Psalm 141 verse 2, Let my prayers be set before thee as incense. And now it's the prayer of the saint. Pouring out our thanksgiving, our adoration to God through the Lord Jesus that is sweet-smelling to God, my prayers. And that's exactly what the New Testament teaches. So let me take you to the New Testament now, the reality, to Revelation chapter 5, please. The revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Written to the churches now, not to Israel now, but to the churches. And the scene is seen in heaven, and looking at Revelation 5 and verse 8. Revelation 5 and verse 8. 5 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vows full of odors, and you will have the word incense there, full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And so now the incense is the prayers of the saints. It's the adoration of the saints. It's not actual incense today. It's as we pray to Him. Looking at chapter 8 of Revelation as the scene is in heaven. Chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8 and looking at verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, 
which is before the throne. Now this is the real one in heaven that Moses saw the picture of. Verse 4, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. It ascended up. So it's a picture of the prayers of the saints as our t- we're taken up with the Lord and so on, and how that is sweet to God. We look at as prayer sometimes as boring to prayer meetings, the hardest meeting to feel, fill in that, because you say, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Well, it does a whole lot for God. He likes to be thanked. He likes to be worshipped. He likes to be praised. And He's worthy of it, you know. And so here's the prayers of the saints and their dependence upon God. And it's just a picture of that ascending up. And so may we be involved in what pleases us. It's ministry to God. You know, it's not going to excite everybody, your prayer, uh, but, it, but it does God, you know. But notice as we were saying, God said somebody's going to do it for Israel. Not every Jew marched in here and did that. He had a representative called the high priest. And that was Aaron. And there's this priestly intercession. And in that, I'll just show you another picture here of this high priest. He had special garments of glory, the Bible teaches. And he would represent the people as a high priest, and he would do that. So that when those at incense was ascending up, it was ascending up through him. I'll take you back to this picture, which teaches us how to pray. People speak of worship today, and they Allah and this and that, but they bypass the name of Jesus Christ. You see the picture here? It's a parable. You've got to go through a high priest. You not only need a sacrifice, you need a holy man to represent you to God. It's called a high priest. So I'll just pray to God. No, you, you better not. I'll never get there. <laughs> uh, this incense had to go through his ministry. And you know, the high priest today is the Lord Jesus Christ. God raised him from the dead after he died. And Hebrews 4.14 tells the believer, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. You say, where's your priest? I can't show him to you on earth, but I can show him to you in heaven by faith. And he's there to intercede for the believer. And we have this great high priest. And so when we pray, uh, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says. And we give him his title. Uh, uh, listen to Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, man, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. You see, it's through Him. We need a Savior. We need a representative. We need a holy, consecrated person. You're not able on your own, but God's provided one in the living Lord Jesus. And, and, and listen again. To, uh, it's, like, uh, it's in uh, Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ unto God and the Father through Him. You see, before He was crucified, He was just narratively known as Jesus. You know? But God's given Him a name above every name. A name of Jesus, every knee should bow. God's raised Him from the dead. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2.11. You know, before our president got elected, you might call him Mr. Barack or Senator or something. When he's elected, never mind what you think of him, you'll call him Mr. President, okay? He's been risen from the dead. He's, our Lord is glorified in heaven. You know, this is just a picture, okay? He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that gets the title, not men. He's the one that gets the title in front of his name because he's the risen Savior and the risen Lord. And so we come to coming to God through the high priest. You know, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Huh? 
1 Timothy 2.5. Don't ever dare approach God without Christ. You know, that's not true worship. I need a Savior. I need a qualified mediator. And it's God's Son, Jesus, the Son of God, our, our risen Lord. And, and so uh, we have to come through Christ. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now looking just in closing here, these are the garments of glory that God designed for him. They had colors and they had meaning, but I, I just uh, he had a crown upon his turban or mitre. And by the way, according to Exodus 28, it said holiness to the Lord. I mean, this is to the Lord. He's functioning for God's desire. But I just want to draw your attention in close, close, closing. He had certain jewels upon him. On his shoulder, he had an onyx, an onyx stone on each shoulder. And on those onyx stones were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel that he was representing. But he not only had the names on his shoulder on these onyx stones pictured here for you, but I'll take you now to this breastplate that he wore on his chest that had twelve jewels after each tribe. And while you're not going to be able to see it in this picture, the names of the twelve tribes are also written on the breastplate. So that as he came into God's presence, he knew the people by name and he's representing them. He's their representative, God's high priest, and today it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but just in closing, go one more time to the Old Testament, to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 28. Just, just show you something about on the shoulder here, Exodus chapter 28. The two places God said names would be. The names of the people he's representing. I mean, God decided where they'd be on his body. And going to Exodus chapter 28, and uh, looking here, if you would, at verse 10. Speaking of those two onyx stones, 28.10 of Exodus. Okay, Six of their names on one stone, and on the other six names of the rest on the other stone according to their birth. Verse 12, And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of a memorial unto the children of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Isn't it nice when a high priest knows your name? <laughs> He's representing you on the two shoulders. And there's a picture of one of the shoulders. Now hang on to that thought. For when we come to the breastplate, wasn't on the shoulders now. It's still 12 stones with names, but it's somewhere else. You see it on his chest. Look here at verse 29 of Exodus 28. Verse 29. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. When he goeth in unto the holy places for a memorial before the Lord continually. And thou shalt put the breastplate of judgment, etc., etc. He had the names upon his heart. He had the names upon his shoulder. You know what the shoulders speak of? It's a parable picture of power. You know, if somebody with strong shoulders, they throw the ball, the boxer punches, the strength from the shoulder. It, 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 it conveys power. In other words, our high priest has power. And when you study the ministry of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, believer, as he is your advocate, he's interceding to God for you. When you fall short and confess your sin based on His blood, He's faithful to forgive your sin. He'll maintain your fellowship. When you need grace to help in time of need, you can go to His throne of grace. He's been here. He knows what you need. But He has power. So listen to Hebrews 7.25. Speaking of the risen Lord Jesus as acting as our priest. Wherefore He is able. You ever sing that with kids at camp? He's able, He's able. <laughs> That's power. Wherefore He is able 
to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's always interceding for me. He's able. There is power to keep me in fellowship with God. Uh, they were on His shoulders and He knows my name. He is able. He can save me to the very end. It's an eternal salvation because He died and lives for me. But remember, they also were upon His heart, weren't they? And Hebrews 2 tells us He's all a merciful high priest. He loves us. Uh, on His heart. That's where the emotions of love come from. You know, God who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, Ephesians 2.4. He not only has power, He cares for you. He loves you. He's called a merciful high priest. You know, Hebrews 4.15 tells us He's not a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. In other words, He can be touched because He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He can have compassion on us. You say, I need someone that understands. He's been there. He understands. And so we don't have to run to drug therapy or this or that. We can run to the high priest, the throne of grace. And He can get us through life. Because He has you near His heart by name. He loves you. He's merciful. He's powerful. He ever lives. You don't need to go into anyone else. And so lessons today from, from the uh, high priest here, from the holy place, uh, lessons of the golden altar of incense, our prayers, but then the intercessory work of the high priest with his uniform that shows he has power for us and he has love for us and all points to our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. May God give you good understanding. May God encourage you in ministry to God, in prayer, in trusting Christ as a believer to get you through life. These all take you to Christ. All kind of lessons here. But tonight when we reassemble, Lord willing, you see this veil? It's a blockade because something's behind that veil, the third compartment called the third section of the tabernacle called the holiest. Ark of the Covenant, cherubim, mercy seat, where the living God dwells. Uh, that was a blockade. But uh, what's behind it? What it's all about? Lord willing, tonight, what has been called the finale of this particular series. Uh, so let's close in prayer. Let, let's just ask God to bless His Word to your heart here today. If somebody here isn't saved, how do you come to God? Well, there's the picture. Don't bypass the high priest. He died for your sins, but you need a sacrifice. You have it in the cross of Christ. You need a high priest to bring you to God. You have it in the resurrection of Christ. Christ is the answer. Receive Him. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we just close in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the exalted one. And Father, we thank Thee for Him. We thank Thee for this one who, Father, delights Thy heart and want to sit at the same table as us and eat. And that we enjoy what Thou hast enjoyed. And to show the fellowship of His blood and His body and with one another what, what it does to Thy heart. And then to lift up our adoration and prayers in His name. Uh, uh, it, it's sweet incense to thee is what we've learned and to come through the Lord Jesus who's our advocate uh, he's in heaven and he knows us by name he has power and he has love and mercy what a savior we just pray to encourage thy church here thy dear people and, and, and just thy word will work in a way that we're not able to make it work in the heart but the spirit is thou knowest the different needs whether unsaved or saved and we commit the working now uh, through the spirit and in the name and for the glory of thy exalted son our Lord Jesus Christ, Father. Amen.